Welcome to the Soul Forge, a place of silent mystery, quiet contemplation, and outright mayhem. Join your host, Sean Vanderloo, as he guides you through the adventures of living. Together, we'll talk about life and love, sex and dating, joy and heartache, memories and loss, and so much more. Don't worry, it's not nearly as pretentious as it sounds. Get ready for life, the universe, and everything on The Soul Forge. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 39 of the Soul Forge podcast. I'm your host, Sean Vanderloo. We're in the deep, dark heart of the forge, stoking the fires, and boy, have we got a show for you today. All right, so as I'm recording this, it's the beginning of March 2018. And every year in March, I start to get nostalgic for the past. And why is that, you might ask? Well, that is because I moved to Timmins somewhere near the end of March 2003. So let me set the scene for you here. September of 2001, I had just turned 25 years old and I was looking to settle down. I was 25. That was a quarter of a century. I might have been having a quarter life crisis. I'm not sure. But anyway, the issue at stake here is that I felt that was a significant age and I needed to settle down and find my life partner because time was wasting and I didn't have much time left for whatever reason in my head. I, I just didn't think that uh, I, I had time to waste. I was 25. Come on. Now, I'm not sure if I read the poem to you about when I had turned 25, because uh, at that point I had been working at uh, a convenience store and I wasn't happy. And I had told the boss and, and back then minimum wage was 685. And I told her, I said, okay, next week I'm going to be 25 and I can't make minimum wage anymore. I don't care if you give me a penny, whatever. Yeah. I can't make 685. So my birthday came around and she bumped me up to $7, which was awfully nice of her. That's a pocket change compared to what we make now, but this is going back well, 2001, uh, 17 years. So where was I? I was in a dead end job. I had finished uh, all my schooling. And what was I going to do? I, I didn't know. But my boss left to go to the call center and that was leaving uh, new management to come in and they let everybody go. So I went to the call center as well. At this point, been single for about a year. So this is November of 2001. I just started the call center and uh, make make some new friends. And actually, I'd, I'd been out of work for about a month and a half before I got the call center job. So I was almost out of savings and I almost went back to back home to the Sioux. But I didn't. I stayed and got the job at the call center, met a bunch of people, and it was great. Uh, but I was feeling lonely and I was, I was 25, like I said, and I, I needed to find somebody. And I looked and we didn't have... Uh, Plenty of Fish or Tinder or Elite Singles or eHarmony or any of that stuff back then. The internet was barely a thing. So, uh, I don't know. I, I asked some of my uh, co-workers to set me up and no, nothing really panned out. And then one day I had to travel back to Sault Ste. Marie to get my braces taken off. So this might have been either February or early, early March of 2002. So I'd been 25 for a while. I'd been single for about a year. And was I lonely? 
Probably. Was I desperate? More than likely. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I wasn't having any luck, as they say. So I said to my one brother, hey, can you set me up with that ICQ thing so I can find somebody? So sure enough, he did. And uh, I hopped on to ICQ. <coughs> and I looked up people in North Bay and people at the call center. And sure enough, there was somebody that uh, wanted to talk. And her name was Pretty Kitty. And she sent me a picture. And, and sure enough, she, it, was, it was a blurry picture, but she looked pretty. So we talked, and it must have been a few hours that we talked, and I said, hey, I'm just in the Sioux, but I work in North Bay at the call center, same as you. Why don't I try to track you down once I get back to town? So I got back to town, got back to work, and it took me three or four days until I recognized somebody who looked like the person in the picture. And so I wrote her a note, to Just I think it just said something like, uh, pretty kitty with a question mark, and she writes back, took you long enough, and we laughed and we laughed. <laughs> So uh, then we started talking, and we went out for coffee, and I think we went out for dinner, and uh, we hit it off really well, actually. It was really nice. So this is early to mid-March 2002 at this point. My braces are off. I'm looking for love. I'm ready to go. And what was this girl's name? It wasn't Pretty Kitty. Her name was Lynn. Now, you have to remember, I was suffering from my quarter-life crisis. I was lonely. I was desperate. I needed somebody to love. And she seemed like she would fit the bill. She was very nice, very personable. She had really bad teeth, but uh, I, I looked past that. She was also four years older than me, so naturally I assumed she would have my best interests at heart. So that was fine. Everything's great. It's going to work out just fine, I thought. And uh, this Lynn lady had two kids from a previous relationship, and I'd never been with anybody who had kids so I was feeling really grown up oh this is kind of exciting all right so uh, let's see how this goes as we got to talking and getting to know each other uh, we found out we had lots in common and things were really good and we could talk easily everything was fantastic uh, she could not have any more kids and I'm like oh all right so that gave me something to think about and I thought about it and I was like well you know what uh, you have two kids. I, I can I can take these kids on as my responsibility and uh, go from there. I don't need to have kids. And so what I did at that point was call my stepdad, Bill. He married my mom and mom already had kids and couldn't have any more. And Bill had never had any kids. So I asked him for all kinds of advice. I said, how do you, how did you feel when you found out you couldn't have kids? Were you okay with it? Was it weird? Was it something that you would regret later in life? Because I was trying to gauge my own reactions by his. And he, he seemed to be okay with it. And uh, he says, if you really love this lady, then you uh, don't have to worry about the kids. Take care of the ones that she has and uh, you'll be fulfilled and everything will be happy. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So this is the point in the podcast where I bring in my poetry. In previous episodes, I have read some of the poetry that I've written to you guys. I'm guessing this poem was written maybe a few days after we met and hung out and went for coffee and dinner and all that kind of stuff. It was written March 19th, 2002, and it was called, or is called, I'm So Happy. Here goes. Twilight tears and a dozen finished beers used to be the way it was. Late night loneliness and daytime drudgery used to be my only companions. Now here you are, and I'm so happy. I want to shout it from the rooftops and write cheesy love poems filled with bad cliches. My chest is stuffed with excitement. Please poke me with a spigot and pour out some of this happiness before I explode with joy. So, is that good? 
I don't know. Probably not. But it was meant to express everything that I was feeling at that moment. And I, from my recollections of 15, 16 odd years ago, we hung out quite a bit. Uh, she came over to my place. I went over to her place. We went out for coffee. We went out for dinners. Uh, we talked all the time. It was great. So then uh, a few days later, about, uh, well, let's see, it was March 19th. And I wrote another poem on March 28th. And this is pretty bad. And this uh, goes to show the depth of my delusions maybe or how smitten I was or how good of an actress she was I don't know anyway this one is called uh, truth to tell March 28th 2002 I've got to admit I have an admission to make the other night I told a lie I said I was falling in love but that simply wasn't true sounds like a terrible thing to say sounds as though you meant nothing to me if truth be told I'd already fallen now you see my lie. You see the truth was bent. You mean more to me. You're just so much more. I wasn't falling the other night. I'd already tripped face first. I'd already felt pure delight, and I was ready to burst. So now you know the truth. You know the depth of my love. If truth be told, I wasn't falling in love. I'd already fallen. Hard. <laughs> uh, it's almost embarrassing to read that to you guys, because really, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> well, two weeks? that I'd known her and I'd already fallen in love. I doubt it. Maybe. Who knows? You, uh, once, once you know the whole story, you'll realize why I call the whole Lynn period my dark times. So anyway, uh, what happened? Um, I've got a little bit of a, a note taking thing here just for the timeline. So I, I talked to Bill. Uh, she was four years older. I figured she had my best interests at heart. So, uh, against the advice of all my friends, Lynn and I decided to move in together, and everybody told me that it was a horrible mistake. All my friends at the call center said, no, uh, she's not the one for you, it's not going to work out well. Uh, my buddy Frank, he had said, uh, don't do it, it's, it's too early, you're not going to be happy. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to prove all you guys wrong, it's going to work out great, we're going to be together forever, you don't understand, you don't understand what we have here, it's... It's so much more, it's so real, you, you can't guess or imagine how I feel right now, and I'm going to prove you all wrong. So we moved in together, we got an apartment, uh, it was either the beginning of April or beginning of May, I can't remember, that's too long ago. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was probably too soon. However, the sex was fantastic, it was great, it was all the time. She'd had a hysterectomy, so she was good to go all month long, it was, it was great, I, yeah. And, and she knew what she was doing because, well, she'd probably been around quite a bit. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So uh, as I was moving into the place and Frank was helping me uh, move my stuff in, I was like, you know what? You're right. This may have been a mistake because cracks were already starting to show. Lynn spent way too much money. I don't even know what she spent it on. She was always taking 20 bucks out of the... Uh, we, had, we had a joint account too. That was the thing. Because I thought she had my best interest at heart, I figured, okay, sure. Why not? Why don't we get a joint account? Because that seems like a great idea. She can take care of the finances. And I'd always been good with money. Never had any issues. My bills were always paid. I had a little bit of savings in my account. I had an RSP going. And by the time I was done with Lynn, the RSP was gone. I had no money in my savings account. Uh, she spent money on eBay. She spent money on cigarettes and on coffee. And there'd be like $30 in bank machine fees a month. And it just was not a good thing. I had uh, I'd let her pay the bills, and it turns out she wasn't paying the bills. I don't even know what she was spending money on, 
But uh, what happened? Well, let's see. Where where are we here? This was uh, April or May of 2002, and so nothing was getting paid, and I started getting calls from creditors and collectors probably near the end of the year. I'm like, oh, well, this is not good. Uh, so what did I do? Well, I started squirreling money away. I would take uh, 10 bucks here and 20 bucks there and put it in my car in a in a coffee can or something. Anyway, I had to uh, make an escape plan, but I felt trapped. And then what happened was she wanted to move back to Timmins because she was from Timmins, but she had been working in North Bay. And I was like, Timmins? Why do I want to go to Timmins? So she got a transfer in March of 2003. I put in for a transfer as well because, hey, we were connected and everything was great. And even though there was some financial difficulties, everything was going to be wonderful. We would work it out. So in March of 2003, somewhere near the end of the month, I moved up here to Timmins. Oh boy, was that ever fun. So we found a place and it was a wreck. Actually, she found a place because she came up a week before. Cupboards were falling off the walls and it just wasn't a good situation. But anyway, uh, we moved up here, tried to work it out, and more collectors called. And so that was when uh, I had to file for bankruptcy, really, because, well, there was no money left and she'd spent it all and I didn't know what else to do. And there was thousands of dollars in debt because apparently she was using credit cards. And even after we broke up, I, I found out that there was parking tickets all over town for hundreds of dollars. Not good. The sex was still great, though, so that was that was fun. So anyway, uh, in March 2003, we moved up here. We lived in a place for about three months. And because it was such a shack, we had to move somewhere else. So we moved somewhere else. What would that have been? March, April, May. So June, we moved to Elm Street. I was like, oh, I, I can't stand this life anymore. This is not the life I had chosen. Uh, I was living in a different city where I hardly knew anybody. I, I knew my buddy Renee because he had moved up here a few years earlier. But that was it. And I, so I knew Lynn and I knew Renee and I had even gotten to the point where I was wondering how I could fake my own death and just move back home uh, because I, I wasn't going to really kill myself because that would be horrible, but I, I didn't know any way out. And that's, that's when we hit on the bankruptcy solution because, hey, once the finances are all taken care of, then I can uh, do, do the great escape and get the heck out of here and I don't have to be with this person anymore. And then you guys all remember the big power outage in August of 2003. Well, uh, two or three days before that, I had decided that that was enough. I was uh, done with Lynn and I was going to stay with my buddy Renee. So we broke up, went over to Renee's place. Uh, two days later, there was a big power outage. I was at the call center. She worked at the call center. I worked at the call center. So we still had to see each other even though we were broken up. It was, it was not fun. Uh, and then uh, because of the power outage, we had to stay at work just in case the power came on because we didn't know the extent of how bad it was. We didn't know it would last like five days. So I uh, sat around with my teammates and that's when I met Trish. We started talking and she was interesting and she was fun to know. So anyway, uh, nothing happened. Uh, Lynn and I got back together for about a month and a half and finally I decided I couldn't stand it anymore. So I moved back in with Renee for a permanent time. Lynn was over and done with. I was bankrupt. I had no savings. I started hanging out with Trish. We would end up together for almost nine years, which was great. But the main part of the story is that when it came to Lynn, she was a great lesson in my life. 
I realized that I don't necessarily know better. I should listen to friends and family and take their advice. I don't always know better. So uh, Lynn caused me to be emotionally, mentally, physically, and financially bankrupt. It was horrible. I, I felt like crap. I felt like I had ruined my life. I, I had no savings. I, it, was just, it was just so not good. And it turns out that she was also cheating on me with one of the other supervisors at the call center. I didn't find that out until uh, maybe a couple months after the breakup, but that was just the cherry on top. That was the icing. That was, that was just great. So, um, yeah, so by, I think by Thanksgiving of 2003, uh, her and I had split up. I was living with Renee. And then one day I saw her. I don't know where I was, but uh, I wrote a quick poem. November 26th, 2003. Uh, this is going to show the bitterness that I felt at being used, taken advantage of, being stupid and letting somebody else take control of my life. Uh, this one was just six lines called Reflections of a Dead Son. I was a fool for leaving you today. I should have done it long ago, but I was blinded by your beauty, however false it may have been. I never realized what I could have had if only I would have looked the other way. I don't know. That's just that's just a poem, kind of, maybe even like a fragment of a poem. Uh, it didn't actually take place on that day that I left her, so I don't know. It was just, yeah, I was not feeling good. That's what, uh, that's what I was reduced to. I, I was bitter. I was sad. I was hurt. I was upset. I was in in debt or well not really in debt because I had to go through a bankruptcy but I was paying I don't know how much money a month to get that and for to be discharged and it was not fun so I wrote one final poem about Lynn the one thing about her is that uh, she read through my poetry that I had written in university and she always complained that uh, she couldn't read my thoughts, she didn't know what I was thinking, and she was sad and upset that I never wrote a poem for her, even though I hadn't written in forever. And I had written two of them for her, but she always complained that I, I never wrote for her. So here, it's, this is a long one. December 15th, 2003. I think this is the last one I wrote about her. Here it goes. It's called A Thank You Poem. You said you never inspired me to write, and jealous of others of, on whom I had written, Worried your beauty was not enough to lift my pen, and hating yourself, you didn't even know why. Yet, you were wrong, and now I do write. I want to thank you for what you've done. You should know how grateful I am. I thank you for moving me to a city where at first I didn't know anyone. I appreciate that you spent my money and ruined my credit and took all I had. I'm grateful you kept the car and the house and left me with the payments. You've given me a new perspective on life. I see things differently than ever before. You said no one would ever love me like you did. I especially enjoyed how you used the kids as pawns and leverage to get what you wanted. I always found it difficult to lie to you, even harder to tell the truth. Thank you for not understanding me and not accepting me for who and what I am. You always complained I never called you beautiful. How could I with a scowl like that? Thank you for moving me to a new city, because I have found the love of my life. Thank you for taking everything I had. Now I can start over and get better things. You said you never inspired me, and that simply isn't true. I'm grateful and thankful in spite of you. I'm grateful and thankful because of you. If not for you, I would not have found such a beautiful new life. Thank you for letting me find someone who understands me and accepts me. 
Thank you for allowing me to move on, and thank you for showing me that you still haven't. Yes, the extra weight really looks good on you. You filled out quite well since we split up. Here, I think you popped this button. I was actually looking for the poems that I had written about her for this podcast because I hadn't seen or read them in years and years. Uh, I guess I was a little bit bitter. So yeah, uh, I don't even know what to say about that. I'm almost embarrassed that I wrote things like that. But anyway, I was not a happy person. I was grateful to have found Trish and we were like I said, together for nine years, and we had our son Bishop, and uh, you've heard her on previous episodes of the podcast, and uh, anyway, overall, what I learned is that I can't trust my feelings necessarily, Uh, I shouldn't think of ages as milestones or time limits, because just because I was 25 doesn't mean, or didn't mean, that I had to find a family and settle down and all that stuff. There, There doesn't have to be a time frame, there's no time limit. Uh, I should listen to other people, take their advice, uh, not be blinded by love, lust, or sex, or whatever. Yeah, take care of my own finances, not necessarily think people have my best interests at heart, because really, when it comes down to it, most people take care of themselves first. And that's just the way it is. Nothing wrong with that, that's human nature. Yeah, so just because she was four years old didn't mean she knew better. And there's more I could probably say about Lynn. Uh, I shouldn't. She's moved on. Uh, She married a guy who was a diamond driller, and she snapped him up right away. Uh, This was after she had made three or four other people go bankrupt. Uh, But anyway, she she married this diamond driller, and then he lost his job because he never went to work, and so she was stuck with him. I think they're still married. Maybe she's happy. Maybe she's not. I've run into her several times over the years. Uh, Whatever. doesn't really matter. Uh, Am I still bitter? Uh, I don't think so. Um, It was just a dark time. It was uh, a learning situation and uh, I think I've grown from it. And anyway, if there's any any people out there who know Lynn or if you want more information or advice or you have a fun story to tell of your own about a dark time in your life, I would be more than happy to hear about it, talk about it, whatever. You can email me soulforgepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I guess that's all I've really got to say for today. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that I've been here in Timmins for 15 years, and who knows how much longer I will be here. So once again, thank you for stopping by the Soul Forge podcast. I hope you uh, would leave a five-star review in the iTunes store. Maybe tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, spread the word about it. Share the links. Uh, if you haven't joined the Facebook group, that would be awesome. Uh, so once again, I hope your day is great. And uh, thanks for everything. Take care. And remember, difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. This has been another episode of the Soul Forge Podcast. Contact the show by emailing soulforgepodcast at gmail.com or by tweeting soulforgepod on Twitter. Visit us at soulforgepodcast.com. And remember, the best way to show your support is by leaving a five-star review in the iTunes store. And if you would, please check us out and like us on Facebook. The Soul Forge podcast was written, produced, scored, edited, engineered, and directed by Sean Vanderloo. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Darth Vaderloo. For more great content, you can listen to my other podcast, The Rusted Robot. Thanks for stopping by The Forge. We'll keep the fires lit until your next visit. I could do this all day. This has been a Valley of Vanderloo podcast production, all rights reserved. This transmission ends now. <laughs>